There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show on the TMASTL Podcast Network. Timothy Michael McKernan, Action Jackson with you from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Our guest today, former United States Senator Jack Danforth with us, talking it over for more than an hour about a wide variety of topics and uh, they range from Vladimir Putin, who he met with, and uh, his thoughts on what's going on in the Ukraine right now, ranging also to his thoughts on the current state of American politics and what he is actually doing to try to change the game. And this is an effort that he uh, spends a great deal of time on because it's something he feels incredibly passionate about. He's been on the podcast before, and he expounds on his thoughts on the current state of things, uh, including uh, certainly something that he is associated with, uh, and that is uh, the emergence of Josh Hawley. All of that coming up here on the Tim McKernan Show, and we are very grateful for our sponsors who make it possible. The HomeLoanExpert.com, Ryan Kelly, is the sponsor of our studios. Ryan Kelly. The Home Loan Expert, if you are in the market to buy a home or to refinance, work with thehomeloanexpert.com. That is who I worked with both to refinance and then also to get pre-approved. And the home buying market will be competitive this year. So make sure you're working with the best in the business. The best in the business is the Home Loan Expert. And that's Ryan Kelly online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Studio sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show since we started, and it's almost been five years, and we're very excited to bring guests back. If you missed it, Joe Buck was with us, oh, about a week and a half ago, and uh, and now we're thrilled to bring you former United States Senator Jack Danforth. Uh, also a wonderful sponsor of this podcast, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Jackson, mm. you're a client. Why don't you tell the people uh, about Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at evergreenstl.com? A happy client at that, Tim. A very, very happy client because Mark, uh, Mark's the best. Simple as that. Mark really is the best. He, he learns about each individual he works with. You know, it could be real easy for someone in his business to just hear 24-year-old makes this much money and set up a plan. That's not what Mark's interested in. He's interested about learning you as a person. And from there, he'll learn about your five, maybe your 10-year plan, what your goals are, where your current situation is, and they'll educate you on the best plan going forward. And then it's up to you to make that decision. And then every six months to a year, he'll give you a call. He'll talk it over. If you have new goals, if your situation changes a little bit, he'll adjust. And that's what makes Mark so great, on top of him being a wonderful human being, one of the best guys. So give Mark Hanna a call. If you don't have a plan, he'll get you straightened out. If you already have someone, I suggest making the switch because Mark really is that good. There it is. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. Ryan Kelly, Mark Hanna, Seth Goldcamp of Design Air, Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com. Mungan S, St. Louis Acura, Jamie Burkhardt, 
Clayton Patterson, online at stlouisaccurate.com and altontoyota.com, and James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, online at carltoninsurance.net. Those are the sponsors who make this podcast possible. And these days, we are doing a couple of podcasts a week, one guest podcast and one questions from the audience. Any questions, comments, thoughts, suggestions, anything on any topic is welcome. T. McKernan at tmastl.com, T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at tmastl.com. Our guest today, the former U.S. Senator from the state of Missouri, Jack Danforth. He also spent time as an ambassador uh, at the United Nations. And uh, that is where we began our conversation with his experiences with Russia, his thoughts on Vladimir Putin and the Ukraine. And it's our pleasure to bring you this week our conversation with former U.S. Senator Jack Dan. Jack, good morning. It is great to see you. It is great to talk with you. Tim, always a pleasure. Thank I you. am. I am looking forward to uh, talking about a wide variety of, of topics with you. And I know the people who, who watch and listen to the show are, are certainly looking forward to, to getting your opinions on a, a number of, of topics. Um, it would be remiss if I didn't start with what uh, the attention of the world is on at this moment uh, with uh, the Ukraine and what is, is going on there. And of course, your career experience. Uh, both in Washington, D.C. and uh, the U.N. and in New York City. As you see all of this play out, was this something that you, I don't want to say saw coming, or was this something you were concerned about and has now culminated with your fears uh, becoming reality? Well, it, it certainly has the advantage of clarifying Putin and who he is and what he's about. I mean, remember very early in Putin's presidency in Russia and George W. Bush's presidency when um, President Bush had Putin at Crawford to his branch and he said he looked into his eyes and saw his soul and so on. And uh, he, this was uh, what, he saw, what he saw was different from what the reality. Now, whether Putin has changed since then, who knows? But um, this, this really is um, dramatic. It's, it's an attack on, on a country, and it's also an indiscriminate attack on civilians. So it truly is war crime. And um, yeah, this is serious business. So um, very proud of the Ukrainians, how they're fighting back. I think that the Russians are going to have a very difficult time for a long time. I, I really think that this is going to make their occupation of Afghanistan look like a Sunday afternoon on the Riviera. Um, the, Ukraine is a, a large geographically. It has more than 40 million people in it. A lot of them are armed. They're armed with assault weapons. They're armed with Molotov cocktails. They're going to fight back. It's going to be very, very bloody for Russia. How Russia ends it, gets out of it, remains to be seen. Um, I don't think it's going to end up looking like a victory for Russia. I think it's going to end up looking like a quagmire. Hey, have you been concerned about Russia for a period of time? I recall in 2012 when he was running for president, uh, Mitt Romney 
expressed concern that Russia should be the U.S.'s uh, greatest uh, fear uh, as far as foreign policy goes. And that was kind of dismissed at the time. Um, laughed but- at. It was really, it was almost laughed at. It was not just, it wasn't just, okay, you're wrong on that, Governor. It, it's, it was, um, he was put down because of it, but he's right. I mean, we, we don't, not that China isn't a problem, it is, but Russia clearly is. This is the biggest war in Europe since uh, the middle of the last century. And um, yeah, this is, this is major. You've actually met Vladimir Putin. What, uh, what was your experience with him? Yeah, this was right after Putin took office. And um, there was an organization called the East-West Institute, and it um, it sent three former senators, Al Simpson from uh, Wyoming, a Republican, David Boren from Oklahoma, Democrat, and me. It sent the three of us over to Russia. We met with a variety of Russian officials. We met with, um, with uh, Putin. And um, <laughs> we, we went back to Washington after that trip, after our meeting with Putin. And we met with, um, first of all, Vice President Cheney and then President Bush in the White House to, uh, be, to brief them on our, on our meeting. And we said, you know, we think you could do business. We could, you, you, Mr. President, could do business with Putin. And we recommend that you meet with him and that you invite him to your ranch in Crawford, Texas and spend some time with him. And we think that the two of you could do business together. So the origin of I looked into his eyes and saw his soul was me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess I'm to blame for a lot of this, but yeah, I mean, you, when you have a nuclear power like Russia and you hope for the best, you know, obviously you hope for the best. You hope that there can be a relationship. You hope that the, the basic view of the Russian leadership is, you know, we, we want a peaceful world. We want a stable world. They shared our common concern concern about terrorism they they had a terrorist terrorism problem severe one on their southern border that was their expressed concern very similar to ours so we thought okay well we can do business with uh, with putin and that was our advice to president bush but now putin really has shown his true two color true colors which it was not as a statesman, but as a former KGB officer. How do you think the mindset of the actual country and the people in any semblance of control, if there is any form of people in control outside of Putin, uh, what their feeling is at this moment in 2022, say versus 40 years ago when you were in the U.S. Senate and what the mindset was of the Soviet Union, say in 1982? I, I'm sure you've seen this in the street demonstrations yeah. recently in Russia that there is a pushback. 
I think, you know, like all people, they would rather live in a peaceful world than in war. I think that now that I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of Russian troops have already been killed, people come back in body bags that has to have an effect domestically. However, it's not a democratic society. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a closed society. They do control much, not all, of their, of their public media. And um, as you saw, see with the demonstrations that are going on, they're very brutal in handling the demonstrators. So um, it's not as though, okay, we're going to go to the polls and elect somebody new. Maybe they'll turn out, you know, maybe, maybe it will turn out that the Russian leadership and the military and so on will say, this is really Putin is, we have to overthrow him. I, I don't, that's, that's to be hoped for. But as far as the general public is concerned, I'm not sure that there is much um, force there to push back. Sure. I'm curious what you think, if anything, the U.S. could have done, whether that be over the last five years, the last 10 years, the last 20 years, when, when you met Vladimir Putin, anything that you look back on foreign policy-wise that could have played a role in curtailing what is taking place right now? I, I think that um, I think that we need as a people, as a country, Americans, to realize that we can't resign from the world, and that um, a stable stable world depends on an engaged America and an engaged foreign policy, and that means maintaining a strong, very strong national defense. And it also means uh, tending to our alliances. So I think that um, during the Trump administration, there was, a, there was a really a degradation of our alliances. And um, I think that that was a mistake. I think taking our eyes off of Europe to the extent that we've done it and directed else, not that we don't have problems in the Middle East, obvious challenges in the China, but to think, okay, Europe is not so much of a problem. I think that focus on it and focus on our alliances and tending to those alliances and recognizing that America is the leader of the free world and has to act as the leader of the free world is important. And maybe we got away from that. Mm -hmm. How do you think that this thing plays out over the next however long? I mean, is this, is this something that we're going to be, you know, looking at a few years from now? Do you think that there's a possible resolution within the next few months? What is your opinion of how this plays out? You're talking about Ukraine. I, yes. <clears throat> I, I don't see how it will play out. I mean, I think, I think Russia is, has, has gotten itself in a bog. And um, I think that even if they were to say, 
occupied Kiev and all the cities, still there's going to be a lot of urban fighting. And um, it's going to be a, a real mess for a very long time for them. It's going to be a great tragedy for the Ukrainian people for a long time. Um, the, the West will do its best in other parts of the world, too, to support the Ukrainians. But still, it's going to be a great tragedy for them. I don't see the off-ramp for Putin. I'd like to see one. I'd like to say, okay, what? how would he, other than just leaving as he did in Afghanistan, you know, sort of tail between his legs, mm -hmm. I don't know that he would do that. So I, I wish I could tell you that I saw a a positive end to all of this, but it, I, it, it's hard for me to see it. Hey, I hope you're enjoying our conversation with former Senator Jack Danforth here on the Tim McKernan Show. Our sponsors make all of this possible. Without them, we wouldn't have a podcast, so support the sponsors. That's the name of the game. Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of our studios. Mark Hanna, Seth Goldcamp, Jamie Burkhardt of Munganest, and James Carlton. Those are the people who make this podcast possible, and Seth Goldcamp is our official heating and cooling company. And hey, how about this? I'm so happy to be able to talk to you about this. And that is the weather warming up and making sure that you get things taken care of when it comes to your air conditioning. And now is the time to get it tuned up before it gets hot and there is a rush on business. So make sure you're working with Design Air Heating and Cooling and Seth Goldcamp and his staff by going online at designairservice.com. That's Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com. Com. Jamie Burkhardt and Clayton Patterson are at Munganess, stlouisacura.com and altontoyota.com. And if you are in the market for a new car, pre-owned car, or to get your car worked on, even if you didn't get it from Munganess, work with Jamie Burkhardt and Clayton Patterson. You'll be thrilled that you did. stlouisacura.com, altontoyota.com. You can check out the selection there. And if you would like an introduction, I am more than happy to make that introduction. Email me, tmckernan at insidestl.com or... You can DM me on social media, T. McKernan on Twitter, Timothy Michael McKernan on Instagram, and I will happily make that connection for you. It's Munganass, St. Louis, Acura, and Alton Toyota. And finally, James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net. He is my insurance agent, so I can speak to the quality of James Carlton's work with no hesitation, because I know it firsthand. 314-961-4800, carltoninsurance.net. For home, for life, for auto, it's James Carlton with an office right there in downtown Webster Groves to make sure he is accessible to his clients. And you call anytime during business hours, and you are going to talk it over with James Carlton uh, and his staff. 314-961-4800, go online at carltoninsurance.net. Your insurance costs a leg and an arm. Call James Carlton. State Farm. All right, our sponsors make these podcasts possible. We are very grateful for the caliber of guests we have been able to get on the podcast, especially now that we've started the guests back up. Joe Buck last week and this week, our conversation with former U.S. Senator Jack Dan. I, uh, the last time we had a chance to talk, the world was in a much different place. I mean, what has transpired since March approximately of 2020 and March 2022 as we talk right now. I mean, these are three global 
lifetime events that have happened in a matter of, of two years when you're talking about the pandemic, uh, the election of 2020 slash January 6th, and, you know, potentially the severity of the situation in Ukraine. Um, you always, in my opinion anyway, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing, are able to um, see things in a positive light. Optimistic, perhaps, but in a positive light. Have the last uh, two years and these three major uh, occurrences uh, diminished your optimism in any capacity? Um, well, I mean, it, it, they've certainly, we've, we've certainly had problems, right? And um, the middle one, that is sort of what's going on politically in America, is the one that, that I'm presently, personally most focused on. Mm -hmm. but, but Tim, I, I think this, I think, you know, we have a great country. I mean, we just have a great country not just because of our, you know, physical blessings and our strength in various ways, but we, we have a country that, um, that from the beginning has been devoted and we've had struggled with it to living together as one people. That's terrific. And there are so many really good people in America. I mean, good-hearted people, people who mean well, people who believe in their country, people who want to live good lives and constructive lives. So in that sense, am I optimistic? I am. But I think that it's important to appeal to that sense of holding ourselves together. And I think that it's important to appeal to the good in the American people, as opposed to constantly stoking grievances and, and anger, rage at one another, which is the political strategy today. And it, it is very destructive. So what gives me optimism? It's the essence of what we are as a country and the essence of what we are as a people. And what concerns me is a, a political strategy on both left and right, Democrats and Republicans, of intentionally turning us against one another because that's the way that they win primary elections and further their own political ends. And so this brings us to what uh, you are now working on, specific to uh, the United States Senate race in Missouri. Uh, Senator Blunt retiring, and you are leading the charge in looking to find an independent candidate to to run. Um, if you could give me the background on how this uh, mission began. The, uh, it begins with what we are as a country. That is, I mean, we are a very diverse country. And may, usually 
that means okay, sort of ethnically, racially, and so on. And that is true, and that is good. But we're also a country of a lot of different economic interests. We're a country of a lot of different political points of view. And the goal has been to hold ourselves together. And this goal, we have honored it. It's our motto, e pluribus unum, we are many people and we are one. So the oneness of America, when children in school say the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation indivisible, the indivisibility of America is essential. So, so that is, that's, that's the starting point. And, and keeping it so has been a struggle. I mean, we fought a civil war, right, over this. Just what are we, are we gonna hold ourselves together or are we going to fracture? And, and we fought and it's, it's been a struggle and it's been difficult, but at our best, we have kept ourselves as one. And politics has been the way of doing that. I mean, politics in the sense of not that we all agree with one another, but we can coexist with disagreement and we can work things out among ourselves. That is, that is lost now. But we're not doing that anymore. And it's not, and I shouldn't say we, because I really think that there is a big difference between the American people, and we took a real poll in this, it showed this, right. between the people of our state, the, the people who say they're likely to vote in the, in the next general election, who, who, who say that this is an important value and who are concerned about what politics is doing. So I think that there is a big distinction between people who vote just ordinary people. They may be Democrats, Republicans, pro-Biden, pro-Trump, whoever they are. They have a shared opinion. And that is the opinion that something has happened with our politicians that is turning against us against one another. And, and we have to figure out a way out of that. So that's what I'm, I'm not for an independent candidate just for the joy of it, but Generally speaking, independent candidates don't do well. And we've had a two-party system where both party competes, compete, both parties compete with for the center, that they're not anymore. They're just appealing to their base. So the center is is gone, and we've got to restore that center. And so the purpose of the independent candidate is to give ordinary people who are concerned about the breakup of America, something specific that they can do. And what this will be specific that they can do is to support in all kinds of ways and ultimately by voting, a candidate who is committed to being somebody who is a bridge builder, not a bomb thrower. And you have done some research on this, and I read 
when names of the current leading candidates for both major parties were provided to those surveyed, the poll showed the race tightening even further. In that case, the Republican nominee garnered 27%, the Democratic nominee 25%, and the Independent 26%, with a compelling 10% of additional Missouri's voters moving away from their previous support of a major party candidate to undecided. In other words, you see momentum for the potential of an independent successfully winning based on the research you did. Yes. I mean, one thing that the polling showed, and it was a very substantial poll, 800 likely voters in the general election. And it, it showed that the message of each party today is intensely unpopular. I mean, 40% of the people who answered strongly disagree with the basic message of each political party, strongly disagree. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I think that, so I'm a Republican, okay? I've always been a Republican, I am a Republican. I have no plan to be anything else. I'm not an independent, but, but this is bigger than party. It really is. This is bigger than party. It's bigger than a legislative agenda by either party. And, and what's interesting about the polling is that people who are pro-Biden, people who are pro-Trump, all these different people, the polling numbers for right across the political spectrum are almost identical. I mean, Republicans, Democrats, pro-Trump, pro-Biden, all these people basically share the same view. And the same view is the country is too divided now. It is too polarized now. And we've got to counter that. So, yeah, I think, you know, I don't know, but I, I believe, yes, I believe that this will res resonate and I believe that it will gain an awful lot of support. I, uh, I used to be quite engaged with the political process as, as much as, as I could be, I think, in, in reading and uh, trying to get as much information as I could and considering the sources. And what changed for me was January 6th of 2021. Um, and, and it wasn't necessarily specifically January 6th, 2021, uh, it was the reaction to January 6th, 2021. In a way, the morning after, I felt some semblance of relief because I thought as a country we had hit rock bottom and then there was only one way to go and that was up. And instead, I almost feel like we're litigating the legitimacy of what transpired that day. And at that point, I thought if we're actually going to litigate that, then I, I, it just frustrates me too much uh, that somehow we're actually we're de debating that moment. If you could take me back to your emotions, your thoughts as you witnessed uh, January 6th at the Capitol. Well, I mean, I spent, I spent 18 years there and, you know, and so I, how many times hours the votes on the floor of the Senate and to see that chamber um, ransacked and then 
in one of the scenes, people walking down the aisle, <clears throat> protesters pounding on doors. <clears throat> one of the doors they were pounding on was once my Capitol office. So yeah, I mean, it was very, it was very real and very, very dramatic and sickening. But it was also the culmination of an attack on the democratic, our democratic system that preceded January 6th. I mean, when you attack the legitimacy of an election and when you attack the legitimacy of a presidency and when you when you proclaim to the American people that elections don't work, that elections are rigged, and that the court system is no longer the way to um, resolve disputes, forget about the courts, then the next step is invade the Capitol. It's the, if it's the, if it's not the law of the nation, it's the law of the jungle. And that's what happened. And then since then, you would think that there would be universal condemnation of this, universal condemnation. Oh no, there are people who say, well, wait a second, the people who invaded the Capitol that they're being hounded, they're being harassed by government, they're being persecuted. People who went into that Capitol, broke into the building, assaulted police officers, defecated on the floor of the US Capitol and wore t-shirts that said Camp Auschwitz. Oh no, we're persecuting those people. And there has to be a universal condemnation of this destructiveness. And so as I say, the violence of that day was preceded by an attack essentially on our constitutional structure and it's succeeded by the same. So yeah, I, it's, it's not just a, a one day, it's the one day is the culmination of what went before and also what what's coming afterwards i uh I, I told some people that i was going to have you on and uh they know the the respect i have for you and it goes back years well before we met and we've uh, now had a, a multiple lunches and, and podcast conversations and and some people go i wonder if his mission is idealistically beautiful but if it's actually realistic in other words has the game of ideals passed Jack Danforth by and the Republican Party is now over here and he's still holding on to what it was in the 1970s and the 1980s. And I know that's probably not a pleasant thing to hear, but you hear, I'm sure, the term rhino quite often. Um, how, would you, how would you respond to those criticisms, I guess, from, from those who would say, well, he might have a great idea, but it's not something that's necessarily going to help the Republican Party win any election? Well, I, again, Tim, I, 
I think this is beyond party right now. You know, I mean, I really think, so I think the typically, and I'm sure a lot of people look at the 2022 election the same way. Well, it's a question of, okay, who's in charge of the Senate and Biden's build back better agenda and all of this. And we all have views on, on all of that stuff. But all of these political issues are ones that if we, if we had, if we, if we had the system that, that Madison built to work out these differences, that's the way to do it. So, so we can do it. Um, I think that our, my party, and look, I'm, I'm also critical of the Democrats. There's a lot to criticize in both parties for the Democrats, identity politics, and this constant charge that everybody's a racist and the cancel culture and all that. But for the Republican party, it's all, how do I make the base energized by making people mad? So there's constant use of the word fight. It, it, it's, it's amazing. You, and I do, I, I follow the Republican candidates um, on Twitter, what they say on Twitter. There's public statements and so on. And the, the incessant use of the word fight or variations, fighter. So sometimes they use the same word twice in the same sentence. They are fighters. The elect me, what they are saying is elect me because I'm a fighter. Elect me because we have a war on in our country. We have a war on of us against them, and I'm for us, and I'm against them, and I want to go to Washington and fight as though there's not enough fighting. I mean, this is a, wait a second, there's not enough. Let's join the scrum. Let's get in there and really throw our elbows. I am a fighter. And it's, it's, also, it's also not just the words, it's the tone of it all. Mm -hmm. It's the tone of it. Listen to, if you can bear it, okay? <laughs> if you can bear it, I mean, it takes some stomach. But look, you can get it on YouTube. Look at the speeches of Missourians who spoke at the CPAC convention last weekend. Just look at it. Not look at the words, listen to their voices. Look at their faces. It's rage. It's shouting rage. I've never seen anything like it. I have never seen that. And it, it's the uniformity of it. It is the rage, the anger, the contorted faces, the body language of war, of us against them. That is the 
That is terrible. You know, I think a lot about Lincoln. Okay, my party's the party of Lincoln. Lincoln founded my party on the principle of union. Okay, holding the union together. So, March 1861, Lincoln has been elected and it's his inauguration, his first inaugural address. America was breaking up. The country was breaking up. Seven states had already seceded. A month later, the Civil War would break out in actual fighting. So here, that was the background. So Lincoln speaks to America. What's he say? He says, we are not enemies. We are friends. We must not be enemies. It is it's exactly the opposite of politicians, and I say I'm now talking about Republicans, Democrats as well, who are essentially saying we are divided into us against them, and we are essentially at war. And then Lincoln said, and he concluded it by saying that we will hold the country together when we appeal to the better angels of our nature, mm-hmm. the better angels of our nature. That's the job of a politician, right? It should be. It should be the job of anybody with any kind of public platform. It should be the job of all of us, every one of us, to appeal to the better angels of our nature. What politician today is appealing to the better angels of our nature? What are they appealing to? Not the better angels. They're appealing to hatefulness, hatefulness. And and it's the opposite of appealing. So I said earlier, you know, you asked what my optimism, what do I think of our country? I think our people are good. So isn't the better approach, even of solving our most serious problems, to appeal to that goodness? To appeal to the better angels as opposed to fight and I'm a fighter and we're at war and it's us against them and we've got to go there and defeat them and win. One of the speeches by one of our Senate candidates, I don't want to, all to me, all of our Republican Senate candidates sound the same. I can't distinguish between them except one of them, one of them closed the speech by saying, let's fight, let's win, let's go, Brandon. Yes. And then, I mean, first of all, can you imagine saying that about the President of the United States? No matter if you're the most rock-ribbed Republican, which I've always thought of myself as being, you imagine saying that 
about the president of the United States and then saying immediately after that, God bless you. How, how do you say in one breath, let's go Brandon, God bless you. It sounds demented. I mean, crazy. It's crazy talk. This is where we are in politics today. And, and this is why it's, this is bigger than party. It's bigger than, hey, are you for, you know, free childcare or whatever the issue is. It's much bigger than that. Yeah. And it has to do with our essential nature, with our culture as a country, and what politics is now doing to us as a people. So much from that answer. Um, I'm curious I, how we got here, because if, if we are in agreement, and we are, that our nature is one of being a good group of human beings. The people are electing those who, who get to Washington, or in this case, take your pick of whatever office, Jefferson City, with referencing Attorney General Schmidt's uh, speech there. Then how did we get these candidates? And, and, and I go back to media. And, I, and I, in a way, I hate to do that because I feel like it's so lazy. It's like saying, I blame society, I blame media. But one time you came into studio, perhaps I think it was 2017, as a matter of fact, and you said, if you're getting your set of information from one place and I'm getting my set of information from another place and my information is different than your information, then I'm going to assume that you are lying to me when you tell me something that differs from what I've been told. And therefore, we start off, we aren't debating opinion and policy. We are debating what is true and false. And I feel like that has been the gasoline on the fire. What is your opinion of how we've gotten? Well, I think that's, I, I think that is true. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a sociologist. Okay. I, I don't, I, I would, I think that, I think there are a lot of people much smarter who are much smarter than I am, who would have a very good analysis of how we have become fractured. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes sense to me that a lot of it is media. A lot of it is that there are just all these different voices and very little news, you know? I mean, they call them news channels. Well, it just really political points of view, a lot of it. And then there's the social media and the speed with which various um, statements could be made. So yeah, I do, I think that it makes a lot of sense to me. I also think that what's happened in politics is that it's all in winning the primary election. Yeah, yeah. So if you win the primary election, for example, in our state, it certainly didn't used to be the case. That was, I had to struggle to win elections and I had to appeal to people in the center, independents, to be into a lot of Democrats to win. Now you don't have to do it. Now you just 
you would just win the primary and then it's over. Well, so then how do you win the primary? Well, you win the primary by appealing to the people who are on the political edge rather than in the political middle. So this is what's going on now in, in the Republican primary in our state. It's just people who were competing to seem to be the most outrageous in order to energize, I wouldn't even call it the base. The base seems to be sort of a broad term, yeah. sort of the edge, the edge of politics. It's all in winning the primary, not the general election. This is why, by the way, why an independent candidate, this, it's not that I'm saying that gen, as a general rule, think an independent candidate is a great idea, but this is why, particularly in this case, that to occupy the center is, is, um, is, is the strategy of an independent candidacy. And it gives people in the center and people who are concerned about our polarization something concrete that they can do, namely support such a candidate. What kind of response have you gotten so far to this this vision for an independent candidate? A lot of I've gotten a lot of messages, a lot of emails, um, a number of people, probably in the double digits, who want to be the candidate. <laughs> so that's heartening. Um, so I think it's too early to tell. I think that. I think that what we need is a real campaign, you know, so that so that this is presented in a in a sustained way over a period of months, and people really have a chance to reflect on it. So I think it's it's too early to say right now how this will work out. I'm I'm, I'm positive about it. And I think the poll indicates that there are just a lot of people. I mean, an 80%, roughly, three different polling questions that we asked that, that say that need, neither party represent them. They say that both parties yeah. are too extreme, that both parties are dividing America, that the US Senate is broken, which is true, which is sort of another little uh, big topic to discuss and that we need a senator who will work across the aisle and be a bridge builder. About 80% think that. So I think that to build on that offers a real, a really positive possibility. You mentioned the U.S. Senate being broken. You, of course, spent uh, two decades in the U.S. Senate, nearly two decades in the U.S. Senate. Um, how does it stand out now? We've talked about its issues uh, and how you used to hang out, for lack of a better term, with your fellow senators, whether they be Republicans or Democrats, because you would spend a lot of time living in Washington, D.C., and we get to know families, and you would look at people as human beings as opposed to just marks to take out. Uh, how do you view it as being broken at this moment in 2022, Jack? Well, I, I think it's turned into an of um, almost a parliamentary system as opposed to the traditional role of the Senate. And that is, it's straight party line voter, voting pretty much. So what was called the what we call the regular order, which is how does a bill become a law? 
bills are introduced, they're referred to committee, their hearings, their amendments offered, goes to the floor, more amendments. This is how, how differences are worked out legislatively. That doesn't exist anymore. So the committee system really doesn't exist anymore. And it's in essence, um, uh, negotiation between the White House and the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader of the Senate, and then the expectation that the majority party, even if it's a 50-50 majority in this case, will all vote in lockstep and all the Republicans will vote against it. So it's a breakdown of how to work things out. So it, it's that that's a very serious matter. So when the in the polls show people think the Senate is broken. It is. It, it truly is broken right now. Mm-hmm. And one challenge for a good, really good challenge for a next senator is how do you restore the regular order and how do you recreate a system where difficult issues are worked out through everybody getting to chime in with his or her point of view as opposed to, here's the message from on high. As far as personal relationships are concerned, um, it, you know, it seems, I don't know. I mean, I'm not there anymore, but it seems to me that it's pretty much of a fight going on. And that's what our candidates say they want to do. They want to go there as fighters. But I often tell the story of, and I, I probably have told you, Tim, so I'm pretty sure I have, but it's so important to me that about my relationship with Tom Eagleton and how it, how it started. And Tom was a Democrat. I am a Republican. Tom was more progressive, I was more conservative. So we had definitely had political differences. On the night that I was first sworn in as a senator, we had a little family dinner in a hotel, in a room in a hotel in Washington, just members of my family, very close friends. And we invited Tom and Barbara Eagleton to that dinner. And uh, there weren't any speeches or anything, but just gathering, gathering. During a quiet time, Tom turned to me and he said, I know you wish your father were alive. Now, that, that set the tone. It didn't have anything to do with what's your party. It didn't have anything to do with what's your position on this or that legislative issue. It's the personal touch of saying, I know you wish your father were alive, and I did. And I think that I know this is what Lincoln was talking about when he said, we're not enemies, we're friends. We have to treat one another as friends. And it's... It's a basic religious principle also. We're supposed to love our enemies. Love them. 
we're supposed to pray for people in, a, in power. Pray for them, not say, let's go, Brandon. We're supposed to pray for them. It's a very religious concept. And it also happens to be a political concept if what we're trying to do is coexist. Mm -hmm. Live together with our differences, work through our different, not organized. It's not that we're all going to agree. My gosh, no. I don't know of anybody who agrees with me all the time. It's not a question of agreement. It's a question of respect and humanity. And that, that is such an important value. The unfortunate element of it is I fear that it's not a winning strategy. You either can't get through the primary with it or you can't keep your job with it. And that is why we are seeing the strategy employed of, as you keep pointing out, the fight, fight, fight. Uh, that's the way that you win now. So I don't yeah. know how that changes. Well, the, yeah, that's true. And this is why this is why I think it has to be an independent candidacy. I think that is true right now. But I also think that the kind of campaign that we're talking about, it, certainly if it's successful, but even if it's it just puts a good showing, has consequences beyond the borders of our state. Mm -hmm. I mean, this yeah. is this is a national. So this is a national moment for us to say that there are just a ton of people in our state who are really concerned and who think that this is a time that the party is much less important than wholeness and unity and keeping us from just wildly flying off in different directions. I think one of the, th I'm trying to sit here and think who will listen to this and hate it and then try to speak on their behalf <laughs> so I can kind of address it. So in other words, I'm just trying to find the devil's advocate. And I think, for example, and I'm not, unless you want to discuss it, then, then please do. But with regards to COVID and the vaccine, I think that is an example, not of people necessarily having a passionate medical opinion, so much as people having a passionate distrust, which I think speaks to our macro issue, is that this candidate could emerge who people really could both on the left and right buy into and feel like this is a good person to lead us and perhaps represent what the future needs to be for not just Missouri, but the country, but then they would be told by figures in the media or in politics that this person can't be trusted because he is an agent of take your pick, whatever enemy is created. Yeah, that's, that, that's what I worry about what happened. Oh, Jack Danforth, he visualizes politics in the 1980s. That's not realistic. He is he's actually a Democrat who's saying he's a Republican. I'm just trying to figure out what the what the counter would be to what you're saying. So that's, that's well, I, I've already heard the counter. OK, what have you heard when you hear the counter? The what I hear from the counter is that, well, if there is an independent, the independent will take more votes for. Um, 
uh, the Republicans than sure. from the Democrats. The Ross Perot theory. And will open up the possibility of switching the seat and yeah. essentially electing Chuck Schumer as our <laughs> senator. So that is, and I, I understand that. And then there's the opposite of that, that um, Bill McClellan took in the Post-Dispatch. He thinks that this will take votes from uh, the Democrat and elect the Republican. I, who knows, you know? But again, I know I'm repeating myself, but I, I really think this is beyond all that. I think yeah. it's beyond whether it's going to switch the Senate seat or not one way or another. I, I don't know. I hope that isn't the issue. I hope that we get beyond that. But I, I do, to me, that's what concerns me, that kind of conventional election year party politics will trump, small t, Trump will trump um the, the the essential message here right and i and that and that i guess i guess at the at the center of the discussion is are you viewing this as a win for republicans or democrats are you viewing this as what the country and missouri but the country sure. needs and you are taking the latter approach and i think yeah. the divide is more people in the actual political game of course are taking the former and that that's is correct the, and they actual right. political game they yes. will do that. So a lot of people in the actual political game, by that I mean uh, candidates, political consultants, these mm -hmm. type of people, will uh, they will oppose it. Yeah. So I had a weird thing happen on January 6th. And uh, we haven't talked since January 6th. But this happened. Um, I was uh, I was starting to get, for lack of a better term, hate mail, which which I've been receiving for a few decades. So that that's not anything new, but it was because of Josh Hawley's role in January 6th, people knowing that I admired and had a rapport with you. And then therefore, they were just so angry about the situation that by proxy, Hawley to Danforth to McKernan, I got some of I got some of that, which I, which which struck me as quite a stretch, uh, <laughs> but but it did but it did actually happen, and um, and so then tying that back into our conversation now of people trying to poke holes in what you are trying to do now, which I would imagine a lot of people will hear this and go, man, this is so admirable. I hope it works. Others will say, well, isn't this the same guy? who thought so highly of Josh Hawley. Now, of course, since then, you have been very, very forthright and transparent in, in expressing your regret for that. Um, but then perhaps people would say, well, his judgment of the landscape uh, isn't accurate. Look what happened with, with what happened with Josh Hawley. How would you respond to that? You really know how to hurt a guy, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I get all the hate mail, Jack. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, no, it's true. I'm, that was, uh, I was, I was all out for Josh and he, 
he has such ability, you know, I mean, he really does. He's a really smart guy and, and um, had the potential of adding so much in the Senate. Um, and I was, I was wrong. And I, it's not the first time I've been wrong, but I sure was then. Um, I, I don't know quite what to say about it. I, other than that, I do think this, that um, we, I, if we succeed, it's going to mean that a lot of people who are Republicans, Democrats, a lot of people who support Trump, a lot of people who support Biden, a lot of people who support or oppose Josh Hawley are going to have to look at the bigger picture here. That it's just beyond an individual, it's beyond a party. And that's what the polling shows. The polling yeah. shows that this is a very broadly held concern. So, yeah, I sure, I, what I've said about Josh is well known. Um, but a lot of people who support him, we just, we need him for this bigger thing. So it's got to be not, well, I'm for Holly or I'm against him, whatever your view of him. But it's what's your view of the, um, the, pur the purpose of America, which is one nation indivisible? I think the fact that you were, I don't know what the right word, for lack of a better term, apologize or were publicly regretful about your support. To me, that is one of the most admirable traits a person, whether that person be a politician, uh, could have. I mean, it, forgiveness is, is one of the most admirable traits. And yet at this particular moment in American politics, I feel like it's seen by some as a weakness. And I think that's a huge mistake. Inevitably, as you just said, I've been wrong about many things. All of us have been. But instead, we've got to just always, well, I wasn't wrong about that, and then just misdirect. And I think that's how we get to a place where we're not necessarily discussing fact, but we're trying to play some kind of games with the public in order to keep our, our jobs. I thought it was admirable what you did. Uh, but yet right now, I feel like it's considered a weakness in, in, in not just perhaps in politics. Yeah, um, so um, I mean, if politics were, you know, the perfect versus the evil, if that's what, it, and that's how it's that's how it's presented. Today. Yes. Yes. Yep. Good versus bad. Then, then, it, then it really breaks down, and it isn't. It, the politics is sausage making. That's what they say. Legislation is sausage making. Yeah, it is. But is it worth doing? Yes, it is. And it's 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 done by imperfect people with imperfect points of view and com 
conflicting points of view and people who get it wrong. And it's not religion. It's not ultimate. Politics isn't ultimate. What politics is, is working things out and coexisting. And in order to do that, two things are important. One is recognizing that your biggest enemy is made in the image of God and is not your enemy, but your opponent. It's not your enemy. Lincoln, again, this is not your enemy. So the person on the other side with whom you most strongly agree deserves a hearing, participation in the process, trying to work, trying to understand that point of view, trying to work with it, through it, to the best of your ability. And the other side of it is not just recognizing that the other guy has a lot to be said for him or her, but also recognizing that you are imperfect. Mm. All you are is a politician. That's 26 years I spent in politics. You know what I was? I was just a politician. I was just a politician. I was just somebody, I had a, certainly had a point of view. I was certainly, you know, engaged in all kinds of legislative struggles on the floor of the Senate and debates and all of that. But I just, it was, it was just a politician. Mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't Mr. Perfect. I wasn't. And I look back, you know, I look back, Tim, at some of the things I thought were just so important at the time, battles I fought in the, um, in the Senate. And what, what was I thinking? You know, what was, what was that about? So I think that recognition of fallibility of your yourself, your party, your cause, your legislative agenda, everything, recognizing it's just a point of view. And, you know, it's not, it certainly is not handed to you from on high. I think that kind of humility, that kind of humility is important to politics is supposed to, is, is going to work. Yeah, I think I think perhaps it's a byproduct of the cults of personality who have been successful, perhaps over the last X amount of years that, that have played a role in that. And then here's just here's just a, a person admitting they're a human being with with faults, just like everybody else. I'm curious when we talk about what you are looking to find to run in this race for the U.S. Senate seat in Missouri, are there are there traits um, that, that you are looking for when, when you're talking about a candidate? And if so, what would those traits be beyond what we've talked about with what your vision is? And the vision is has to be greater than the Republican or Democratic Party. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a bridge builder and I'm looking for somebody and not me. I mean, I just hope some somehow this will emerge somehow, but somebody who is is a bridge builder as i said not a bomb thrower 
but I'm really look also looking for somebody who who will run on the principle of the thing, not the personality of the thing. I mean, human what's human nature is for people to say, well, am I gonna win? Am I gonna lose? What's this gonna do for my political future? That's that's in all of us. But I I really want somebody who believes in the message, even if it even if it were a kamikaze mission. Mm. Uh, even even if it can't succeed, even if this person's career in one party or the other is is ruined by this. I'm looking for somebody who says, okay, no, this is this is what I'm gonna stand for. That's what I want. And that's uh, that's inspiring because <laughs> I think it's kind of what needs to happen actually. Uh, is somebody willing to go, yeah, I might lose. I might not be welcome back in my party, but I believe that this is the right thing to do. And therefore I am going to do it because I believe it's in the greater good of my country, which I guess is in the end, what it's supposed to be all about. <laughs> well, supposed to be, I mean, it's, it's kind of contrary to, to all of us, you know, I mean, we're all obviously you're in politics or in any other business yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or, 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 are part of whatever you do in your life you want to succeed you know you don't want to just <laughs> just say oh well, well i don't care if i win or lose so you want somebody but you don't i just i want i want the message to be more important than the person that's what i really want i want the message to be really really important and um so that's what i'm trying to do uh jack it has been a pleasure i have enjoyed it no surprise i hope i didn't take too much of your time no, uh, <laughs> this is what i'm doing tim i mean this is uh this is what i'm trying to do right now and thanks for the opportunity to uh, to say it oh uh, it's it's it, like i said it's inspiring i just we need you, actually. That's who I've decided over the course of our conversation. That's who we need. I know you're not necessarily looking for it. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. My time has passed, and also, uh, also, um, as Sally Danforth, who with whom I've been married for almost sixty-five years now, as you would say. Not with this wife. <laughs> uh, well, I've enjoyed it as always. I look forward to getting together when you're back in St. Louis. And uh, and thank you so much for taking time out. This was uh, this was wonderful. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Okay. Thanks. See ya. So there it is, our conversation with former U.S. Senator Jack Danforth here on the Tim McKernan Show podcast from the Home Loan Expert dot com studios remember you can listen to this podcast just by subscribing to the morning after stl app everything is there of course you can listen on itunes and you can watch it by subscribing to youtube youtube.com slash tmastl 
I don't know about you, but I like to watch conversations and kind of settle in, and uh, and we're now able to do that, so we're very excited about it. Super uh, enjoyable conversation with Jack Danforth, and um, and I'm anxious to see how his plan plays out, Jackson. I don't know what the uh, what the response will be from the public, but he believes it's the right thing to do, and therefore he is doing it. Uh, what was your takeaway? That was your first time you had sat in on a conversation with uh, Senator Danforth. Yeah, just uh, first of all, just how well he's able to articulate things, how intelligent he is, and how genuine he is. Everything I, everything I heard from him today felt like it came right from the heart, truly came out of his brain to his mouth, and uh, really, really enjoyed just his presence. I think he was really, really, really awesome. Uh, I was fascinated by uh, his discussions about Putin, about meeting Putin. I thought that was fascinating. And then just his opinion on the current state of politics, I think is uh, honestly refreshing to hear someone talk so honestly and candidly about it as someone who used to be in that exact same realm of politics to talk about what he sees now, I think is uh, really refreshing. I think the core issue is the following. For somebody who is a Republican, they might go, you're, you're hurting our chances of winning with this quest. And he, as you heard him say, would, would agree from the, the thought process of that's how you view it. Yeah, I suppose you could make that case. On the other hand, as you cited, Bill McClellan said this is only going to help the Republican candidate. Um, but that's not how he looks at it. He views it as an American issue, not a Republican issue and not a Democrat issue. And so um, that that's that's his answer to those questions. I would imagine it's it's amazing because I've been having conversations with him on the podcast now almost for five years. And when he first came on, um, I don't think he was considered polarizing in any way. The fact that the man you either just listened to or just watched would be considered polarizing is probably comedic to some people, but I know that he is. Uh, and so I tried to ask questions representative of the people who may be in disagreement with where he is um, in what he wants to do or just politically. But uh, now because he is outspoken on this, he has become somewhat of uh, a polarizing person, which to me is, is uh, kind of uh, amazing because I know what, what he's all about. And, you know, one of the things uh, and it kind of gets me going sometimes when people just go, oh, they're all crooks. And I was like, man, I don't know. I can't speak to their all because I don't know them, but I know some and I know this one. And uh, even though I know we will disagree and do disagree on some things, uh, he's not. He is absolutely not. He is a good principled man. And even if I disagree with him on things, I respect him. And uh and hopefully, listen, I know inevitably there'll be people who hate this conversation. That's kind of the nature of the beast. And that's cool. That's part of the deal. But um, I hope that uh, those of you who did watch or listen, um, at the very least, have an appreciation for uh, someone who sees some things as wrong. And even though he's 85 years old and hasn't um, been on the main stage, uh, he cares enough to continue to try to work on it, even though he absolutely does not have to. His greater goal is the greater good of the United States of America. And that is what his mission is, is to try to see a way to fix politics. Unfortunately, 
Uh, I don't know if it's fixable, but I respect the fact that at the very least he's going to try. So our pleasure to have Jack Danforth on as our guest today. And we thank you for listening to the podcast and for supporting our sponsors. Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. James Carlton, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Seth Goldcamp of Design Air Heating and Cooling. And Jamie Burkhardt and Clayton Patterson at Munganess, St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota. For Jackson Burkett, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios on the TMA STL Podcast Network. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.